0: Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's the CEO and founder of Hardcore Generations. It's Dan Edwards. How are you doing today, Dan? I'm very good, man. And you? I'm doing good. I'm excited to have you on the show and talk about your rise to the challenge. First thing we like to do with all of our guests is we talk about right at the beginning. Where are you from, and what were you involved in growing up?
1: <laughs> uh, I'm from West Sussex in in England, um, which is kind of the southeast of the country. Very, very countryside um, area, very green, very beautiful area, very, very kind of quiet area, really. Uh, and I grew up there, went to school there um, and, um, and then moved to Cambridge for university. And then um, after university, moved to Japan, lived there for five years or so and then came back to the UK, I think in around 2004 and have lived in London since then. Um, uh, and, and, traveling around the world a lot since then so that's kind of been my my locations i suppose and um uh what did i growing up what was i involved in i i was um uh, from an early age i was incredibly uh fascinated by martial arts and physical training and 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 grew up with those kind of um Superhero ideals that a lot of boys had of my generation in terms of action heroes and uh, superhero comics and and martial art movies and bruce Lee and you know all this sort of stuff and and grew up um wanting to be or wanting to sort of emulate those the skills that those those individuals had so you know me and my peers we grew up um uh, basically learning to fight um, learning survival skills um, uh you know doing yeah, spending most of our time out in the forest building camps and climbing stuff and going on explorations and adventures and hikes and very kind of in a way a very wild upbringing i suppose um and and that then as i became a teenager that focused into a real intense focus into into practical fighting arts and, and martial arts um and that continued the whole way through my life um uh even through university where i was I studied um, oriental studies um so Japanese and and history with my postgrad and undergrad degrees um and then I moved to Japan to study a specific fighting art that you can only train there um and uh and then I encountered parkour and and uh, when it was very young and, and the discipline of parkour um sort of grabbed me and I, I became pretty fanatical about training in that with the founders. Um, and, uh, and then it kind of became a career from there, became a profession from there for the last kind of um, 15 years. I guess that's been my profession. So it's been a very strange journey <laughs> to get here, but, um, but a very interesting one for me anyway.
0: Was there anything during the time that you were learning martial arts that challenged you and something that you were trying to achieve?
1: I mean, studying the, you know, training in the fighting arts is, is challenging from day one, I suppose. Um, and for me, the challenge was always... Um, how i was really interested in in the practical elements of it the martial arts is a big it's a broad term right so it includes lots of different aspects of training lots of different approaches to training the whether it be the sport element or the self-improvement element was you know that kind of thing or, or just following tradition or whatever but i was always very interested in the in the practical application of it kind of what actually works um what's effective in in a sort of a combat situation um and and how can you learn that and how can you how can you know how can you tell that um especially when you're young and you can't really you know how, how do you how do you practice that and you can't actually just go out and fight people you can't go out and fight people. but it's, it's not the ideal thing so how do you actually know how your training whether your training is being effective or not um and there's a lot of you know fakery and, and stuff in the martial arts, which, you, which if you train it a lot, you realise that there's a lot of um, illusion and myth and, and things like that. So you kind of have to cut through that. So that was that was always a challenge growing up. Was was how do we how do I know this is working and how do I find really the best stuff, the you know the the really um, the really good stuff? How do I find that? How do I access it? And the more you go into it, the more you realise that it is quite hard to access that stuff, and you, and you're going to have to make an effort to. To, to find that you're going to have to travel. And, you know, I was very interested also specifically in, um, in, um, in, uh, armed combat. So finding, learning how to use weapons and particularly the sword always really interested me, but again, not sport forms. I wasn't interested in fencing or Kendo or any of the sport forms. I was interested in, in kind of the real use of the sword. Um, and you know, pretty early on, I realized that the only way to learn that would be to travel to Japan. Um, where there's a school that is that still trains uh, the original sort of the oldest japanese martial art um uh, and still teaches that there's a, but there's only one school in the world so if you want to learn it you've got to go to japan and live there and train in that so um that was a challenge i suppose but um but it seemed like a natural step you know um so for me it was all these challenges were fairly um there were it was fairly not easy but it was um I knew I'd find solutions to them because I was so passionate about it. So I believe if you're truly passionate about something, no matter how challenging it seems, you will find a solution. Um, if, the, if the will is there, if the passion is there, you will always find a way. Um, and that's kind of what I've always followed, I suppose.
0: Did martial arts help you as a personal reflection, like help with mindset or the way that you behaved in certain situations?
1: Yeah, I mean, hugely, and and, and in uh, obviously, you know, uh, books and whole disciplines are, are based on this um, uh, on, on this idea of the the self-discipline that comes from training in a practice like that, and and the self-knowledge that you learn really through any sort of challenge. I mean, the way I see martial arts is, and parkour and any any good discipline is is that it would be uh, best defined as a transformative practice, um, and that term um, really means. Uh, any discipline that through the practice of which transforms you as an individual. Um, and they, they, there are certain things for something to be a transformative practice. There are certain sort of bases that it needs to have, such as you, it needs to be regular, You need to be training in it regularly, if not every day, but a lot of your time needs to be devoted to it. If not the majority of your time probably should be devoted to that thing um it needs to have um a skill aspect to it so some way in which you can sort of you can know that you're getting better or worse um, there needs to be a challenge and a challenge that is something that you can, can be scaled so a level of challenge that is equal or slightly higher than your level of skill as you get better that challenge continues to grow with you um, if you're if your practice has got those things whatever it is whether it's you know, um, a martial art or flower arranging or carpentry or music or whatever your practice is, um, then it can be a transformative thing, which means it can Im- improve you as a, as an individual, um, and raise your self-knowledge and your self-awareness. Um, and for me, certainly the martial arts, um, had a huge, huge impact on me in that way. Um, and I, Obviously, all the things that come with the martial arts that are great are things such as the philosophies, um, especially the the East Asian and Southeast Asian philosophies that go with it. Um, that, you know, those things teach you a lot of really good stuff early on, um, and and I was heavily involved in in um, in studying and understanding that right from the start. So, um, and not only that, you learn you know the physical discipline. You learn how to you you learn the limits of your body. You learn the the capabilities of your body, but you also learn the the the, the, um, the damage that you can inflict and therefore why you shouldn't inflict it and that, that sort of thing. And, and also the weakness of your body in terms of, um, you know, if you if you make the wrong decision in life, you can get badly hurt um, or, or, you know, go up against the wrong person or, or something like that. So you learn to respect yourself and you learn to respect everyone else around you and, and the world at large. I think so. I, I think they're a really good thing for young people to get involved in.
0: You talked about the philosophy and the education side of martial arts. Do you think nowadays, like the media kind of, kind of takes it in a wrong direction in kind of what martial arts is? As more people think about it as just fighting each other, but the way you've been talking about, it's more, there's more to it and kind of the aspects of how, how much you can inflict in pain and stuff like that. More of the education side.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, um, the 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 media and the current sort of um uh, i suppose the bent towards producing you know good tv um, and uh, uh and 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 getting ratings and things like that has has led towards i suppose an increase in show the showcase side of things in the martial arts um, similar in, in parkour as well, and, and disciplines like that, um, because of the need to appeal to people, you know, visually in a very quick format, um, very bite-sized format that social media and and, um, and TV and things like that present. So um, there has been, I suppose, an increase in in that. But anyone that then gets into trading in a martial art, if it is taught well, this is the key thing. If it is taught well, um, then. Uh, they will soon find those elements, those deeper elements, and and um, about themselves that self knowledge piece. They will probably encounter it. Um, so that's still very much there and very much alive in the martial arts, um, especially in the traditional arts. One of the best things about the traditional fighting arts in the, is that those traditions really emphasise the 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 sort of the, the self knowledge and the self discipline piece, um, uh, even while they they perhaps sacrifice the practical application of it. Um, they, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing um, because, at the end of the day, the world probably doesn't need more people that can fight. Um, it probably needs more people that are that are that are self-aware. So, um, so it's great that those systems and those traditions really focus on that heavily. So, I think I think it's always been there and it's still there um but of course if you switch on youtube and put in martial arts or whatever it'll give you the you know show you street brawls and and the best knockout or whatever you know it'll always show you the physical visual side of it um because that's it's a visual medium um but you know if you go to a good school in any art you should find um people teaching the right kind of ethics i think uh hopefully
0: what was that dream job that
1: I, I, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I, I never really knew. I never really had a dream job growing up. I mean, I knew um, all I, I knew what I didn't want to do. That's more more important. That was more important to me. You know, I knew from day from a very early age, I knew that I had no interest in doing like a traditional kind of nine to five job, where I was just working for the money. You know, I had no interest in that at all. Right from being very very young, and I remember people telling me, you know whatever they, these crazy age, they ask kids, you know, what you want to be in life, like eight, nine and stuff like that, eight, nine, ten years old. And I remember even then thinking, being, you know, being quite resistant to that question of, you know, what do you want to do? You've got to, you're going to have to get a job when you're older. What do you want to do? And you start thinking about it. I remember being quite resistant to that question thinking, why, why do I have to think like that? You know, this is just cause you've done that. And just cause society's done that before me. Why do I have to do that? I don't, I don't think like that. I don't want to think like that. So I was very resistant to it. Um, I knew that I liked studying in academia, so I would continue to study and went on to university. But, um, and I loved writing and creating stories and telling stories like that. So, so I kind of thought maybe I'll end up writing, um, uh, but I always just kind of knew that I wanted to study more. I wanted to learn more about the the fighting arts and the martial arts and that pathway I'd chosen. So after university, I went to Japan to study the, those arts that, that I couldn't study anywhere else. Um, but I didn't really have a career In mind, I mean, when I lived in Japan, I was lecturing at university. I was a university lecturer um, to sort of pay my bills while I was training there. Um, But it wasn't my dream job. It was just kind of like this is a good way to keep me alive while I'm doing what I really want to do, which is study the fighting arts. Um, uh, Certainly, uh, you know, my career has been since since coming back from Japan, and I've I've done a few different things in business or whatever. But basically, since coming back from Japan, my career has been parkour. and teaching parkour and uh, the performing parkour on movies and stunt world or whatever. And then, and then creating and running parkour companies and organizations worldwide and creating coaching certifications and all the stuff we've done. Um, that's been my career. And at no stage growing up, if someone had said, you know, you will be, your career will be, you'll, (laughs) you'll be running a parkour company. You know, that didn't even exist obviously when I was growing up. So, you know, I never would have thought I would have ended up doing this. So, um, and and I looking back and I don't think that's a bad thing. My 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 uh I speak a lot now to um business students at university, um, who are sort of looking to get into entrepreneurship and or, you know, run their own businesses or, or, or just get into business in general. Um and one of the things I'm I'm pretty eager to make them aware of and younger kids aware of as well, um, is that, you know, you don't, you don't have to select your career in your teenage years or even your twenties. You know, you don't necessarily, especially in this day and age, you don't need to know that from, from a really early age. It doesn't really matter. Um, what matters is, you know, the things you love doing and you spend time in that area and moving in that space. Um, and over time, what you actually want to do and the bisect, the bisect between what you want to do and what you love doing and what can keep you alive, what makes money and what can be of use to the world, those things will intersect and you will eventually find out sort of, a, you know, a career Uh, And or make a career out of it. But if you don't know what you want to do at the age of 17, 18, it's not a problem. Or even 24, 25, I don't think it's a problem. Um, I think our apprenticeship years, which used to be teenage years, you know, 100 years ago, your teen years or your apprenticeship years. Um, I think our apprenticeship years are now in our 20s um, because career paths are so fluid now and you can change jobs so easily and move horizontally from one company to another. And the average lifespan in a job now is, you know, two years. It's it's kind of the average, I think you spend two years in a company, and then you move on. So it's very, very different from even 50 years ago. So um, that's a long winded answer to say (laughs) I never had a dream job. Um, And, uh, you know, but now looking back, I'm very glad that I ended up doing what I did because I can't imagine a better a more interesting sort of career for me doing especially the parkour stuff you know allowed me to travel all over the world and and meet amazing people and be involved in really really interesting industries um i can't imagine i couldn't i'm not sure i could work out a better way to do that than, than how it played out
0: i think people wonder why i asked that question i think it's one of those things where when you ask someone that dream job i know my dream job when i was younger was oh i want to be a game show host that was just something that I was into <laughs> at that time. But obviously I'm Magic. not even close to that right now. But you kind of see the characteristics in that person and what they're passionate about, even if it's not specifically that job that they're going for. And like you said, when I was in my 20s, I was finding what I was passionate about. And it kept changing with different activities I was doing, exactly. events I was doing. And you find out, okay, I can see myself in this direction. And like I said, this podcast came out of nowhere. I never even thought about it when I was growing up. Oh, I wanted to host a show. But maybe that kind of went back to, oh, I wanted to be a game show host in a way. Yeah. So it's always interesting to see that the things that you do now, sometimes you can take different aspects of that dream job and you're still utilizing that today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, and, and, you know, there's definitely a crossover there, the whole game show host thing. I mean, it's a, if you look at the attributes of that, it is someone that is happy talking to people, you know, um, uh, holding dialogues and sort of almost managing the dialogue in a way, because a game show host, you're asking questions about the people on the game show, right? You're asking them to talk about themselves, which is similar to what a podcast host does. So, so that probably shows, um, those kind of instincts in you from a young age. And that's probably um, the thing that you should focus on when you're young is just think about what what are the things that you, yeah, what are the attributes that you enjoy expressing? What do you, what do you like doing? What do you love doing? What brings you joy and happiness? Um, And then, you know, spend time doing that. That's what I say. That's what I think kids should be doing. Certainly in their preteen years and then in their teen years, they should be following their passions um, and not, you know, it's a problem with the whole education system at the moment. It's probably the same in the States as it is over here. But, um, in the kids these days, more and more, are, you know, spent, have to spend time working solely to pass exams, um, and to get into the right sort of exam lane to get them at the right stage so they can then get to the right school and then get to the right university and then get to the right job. And, you know, they, they have to sacrifice their childhood in a way to do that. And, and that, that's just really, really terribly wrong. Um, and I'm pretty sure that in a hundred years or so society will look back on that era and think, what the hell, <laughs> that was really crap. Um, and, and just a waste of time. You know, kids don't need to be doing that at all as, as Finland and countries like that prove with their education system. Um, so, you know, that, that I think is, is bad. And I think kids these days should be, should be encouraging them to follow their passions more, giving them more time to play, to be themselves, to explore. Um, and, you know, they're not going to grow up any more, any more or less um uh competent than than pushing them through ridiculous exams uh they'll definitely grow up more competent in a broad way actually um and they'll be no less intelligent um they'll just be more educated on the things they want to be educated on uh, and and things they're interested on interested in, rather than wasting their time learning stuff that, that i do really need to know probably um so yeah i think um yeah, getting kids to follow their passion is is, is a key thing. And, and then that will naturally lead them to where they want to be probably.
0: I think that is the biggest thing. Like the things that I learned in college, most of that I don't even remember now. I think if it was a science class, I don't even remember what I learned. And that's the hard part yeah. when you have friends that are in college and you're just hearing, oh, I have to study. I don't have time to do this. It's like the, the world, the day is... I don't even know what the phrase I was trying to go with there, but like, there's so much time that you should be enjoying the experiences you have because you're making those friends and you're building those lifelong memories. And you don't want to be stuck in a dorm room or a, a table a library, studying all the time. And I think that's the hard part is I was one of those people where I just wanted to get out in the real world or get that experience in the real world of the stuff that I was passionate about. And so hopefully in the years to come, the education system will change, but I, I don't regret what I did, but I wish I did it a little bit differently. But it's one <laughs> yeah. of those things that we can look back on. When you lived in Japan, what's the biggest thing you learned about yourself?
1: Um, I guess the biggest thing I learned about myself in Japan is that um, uh, my time out there, and, and tra- I spent a lot of time traveling around Asia while I was there, and, and I suppose the biggest thing I learned about myself was that you know um, the world is there to explore and that I could do it um, you know I'm, I, I spent a lot of time before that in and in, you know a fairly cloistered environment I suppose in terms of Cambridge you know, I was there for five years and um, it's a beautiful place to study an amazing town and you know ancient university um, I had great friends there and uh, you know it was, it was an, an amazing place but it's very you know it's a very small place it's it's an ivory tower in that way um and when i lived in japan and got to travel around a lot and and and, and explore a different culture in that way um and and you're completely by yourself you know you you are very very isolated when you go and live in a country like japan um which some people don't like at all because it is it is a very um, different culture from ours in the west um and you're you know you're you're sort of you're treated very well and very politely but you're because you're you're an outsider there um in many ways um you it's very hard for you to, to to become to feel like you're part of the culture to to sort of get past the facade um and get past the 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 layer of politeness to actually get to know people in japan and you know i was Uh, able to do that easier because i spoke japanese because i studied at university and i understood japanese culture because i studied their culture and their history and their literature and martial arts since i was a kid so i had a way in um so i was able to connect more with the communities there and the culture and make japanese friends and etc but um, a lot of people find that very tough um but you are basically by yourself you know um out there when you go and do what i did so um and i think the main thing i discovered was that uh i could do that and that I could, I could live abroad and learn and travel and explore. And, and, you know, you, it it wasn't a problem. It was actually a, a very liberating thing. And the world isn't as, um, uh, you know, scary or inaccessible, um, as maybe many people are taught, maybe now, maybe especially these days. Um, but that it's, you know, it's actually, if you go out there, if you just put energy into something like that, um, the world responds and you get to, see amazing things and meet amazing people and um, explore amazing places. Um, and that is incredibly beneficial. Again, another thing that I think all young people you know, should do is go and live abroad for for, for kind of at least six months or a year um, when they're pretty young, maybe it's a gap year or, you know, between school and university or, or just after university or whatever, but fairly early on you should live abroad for at least a year. I think, I think it's really, really healthy because it teaches you, um, that people all over the world are, are pretty much the same. They have the same, um, desires, the same fears, the same needs, um, you know, the same community bonds, um, uh, all those underlying things that makes human are the same everywhere. Um, and you realize that, that we have more in common than we, than we, than we have that differentiates us on the whole, um and you see the strengths and the weaknesses of different cultures and therefore you're able to recognize the strengths and the weaknesses of your own culture because you see it from a distance. Um, and I think that's very, very important. So yeah, I I learned a huge amount from living out in Japan. Um, and it was, you know, an, an awesome time and yeah, I'd recommend anyone, everyone go and live abroad. When you're young.
0: Is there anything that you've taken from the culture of living in Japan that you use now in your daily life?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, in many ways, um, because I'd studied Japanese and, and, and sort of um, East Asian culture growing up a lot, and was heavily drawn to it, In, in and obviously, you know, the overlap with the martial arts was obvious. Um, so in many ways, I kind of already um, w- was already applying many of the sort of... Um, East Asian philosophies and the the core concepts, let's say in in Taoism maybe and and Buddhism and and those sort of um, old philosophies of Asia. Um, I was already sort of living, in, not not fully aligned with them, but I was already utilising those concepts and principles in my own in my own life. So um, uh, and you know I'd been meditating when I was very young. Started that when I was very young, and 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 those sort of things. So um, and in in living in Japan, I suppose you see over here those when you raised over here those things are exotic you know um and you you see them as separate things from your daily life but tools to use whereas in when you live in in a country like japan i suppose you see where they come from and you see how they're just embedded in that culture so the ideals in japan especially of of um, of discipline and self-discipline and um, etiquette and politeness um, uh, and attention to detail um, and all these kind of things there. It's just sort of everywhere in Japan in a way So because it's part of their culture. So you you then that then feeds back into your uh, Into your life and you you take if you live out there long enough I suppose you you can't help but acquire some of those things and take take them away um, But I was already when I lived in Japan I felt it quite easy to live there in a way because I'd already sort of uh, Grown up understanding and studying that culture. So when I moved there It wasn't a big culture shock to me in a way, whereas I think for a lot of, well, I know for a lot of Westerners who, who, when I was out there, who also moved out there and lived there or whatever I encountered out there, um, they, many of them experienced a huge culture shock Um, and, and some of them couldn't handle it and had to leave. Um, But, and that's understandable because it it is, if you have never had any idea of what it's going to be like, you are probably in for a shock. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah. uh so but yeah no so I, I think i'd already sort of learned a lot of that stuff i guess and um uh and then and then it just got reinforced when i was in japan probably
0: so when was the first time you kind of found out about parkour or you mentioned that it wasn't really something that was well known back then so when was that first case of parkour for you
1: <laughs> yeah no i mean parkour didn't really come together as a discipline until the late nineties in France. So, you know, growing up, um, uh, it didn't even exist when I was growing up. So, um, so, you know, they had no, no idea about it. And then, um, I first encountered it in, in kind of 2000, 2001, when it was shown as, um, uh, there was a movie called Yamakasi which is a French movie by Luc Besson, which featured the founding guys, the Yamakasi in France. Um, and that was shown on theatres in France and Japan only. And I saw that um, and was very interested by it, uh, in terms of the movement abilities of the people in that film. And I could kind of tell they weren't normal stunt people. Um, and that it was a lot of it was, you know, they were actually doing those movements. And you sort of... Uh, that that piqued my interest, um, and I and I began to study and research who they were and what they what they were doing, um, and began to kind of try and emulate their movements in a way. And, try and living in Japan, I was living in Japan at the time, so there was no access to these guys in France. Um, so you know, it was very hard to sort of. And it wasn't like today where you can do a Zoom call or whatever. <laughs> this is this is, is pre YouTube, and you know there were there were internet forums for things, but there was and there was like one forum for parkour in French. But you know, there was no ease of communication like there is these days. There was no social media and all that sort of stuff. So um so it was very hard to get information. Um so you know, me and and two friends out in Japan, we began to, um, try and emulate the movements and try and try and teach ourselves in a way. Um, it was only when I moved back to Europe in the summers, um, for holidays in between university terms that, um, that I was able to sort of connect with the European community, the French founders and and the fledgling UK community, and then begin practicing and training with them and and actually learning stuff direct from the source. Um, so that was my first taste of it. was was pretty rough and ready for the first couple of years, um, until I eventually moved back to the UK in 2004, um, and then a couple of the French founders that that came into they came to live in the UK, um, and we began to train sort of every day, all day every day really, um, and that was when it really picked up, I suppose. But you know, parkour didn't. No one knew about it. I mean, until when I started, there were maybe 50 people in the world who even knew the word who even knew what it was um and maybe 20 of them were regular practitioners 20 30 maybe that was it in the world so um then jump london was a was a big turning point that was a channel four documentary by a guy called mike christie um uh, that was released in 2003 um and that when when that went out we saw the numbers jump you know the the forum online in the, in the UK had about 100 people on it, I guess at that stage. Um, and then the next day after that went out that documentary, there were like you know 10,000 people on the forum overnight. It, it, that documentary really made the world aware of what it was. Um, and from there it grew. But back when I started, yeah, there were there was there was hardly anyone doing it. There was no certainly there was no professional organisation. There was no classes. There were no coaching qualifications. um, There were no gyms no clubs you know no websites you know nothing it was it was very rough and
0: ready when you were training with parkour did you kind of see some similarities with that in the skills that you've learned during your martial arts time or was it completely two different um kind of skill sets
1: uh i mean they're different skill sets but there is a huge overlap in the physical attributes and the, and the, and I suppose in the concepts of what, what, what I was trying to do. So I, uh, the reason I was attracted to parkour and I, uh, you know, I grew up with this kind of, as I said, all this, this idea of like trying to make yourself as complete, Um, and as competent, as capable an individual as you can be physically and psychologically, you know, in order to help people if they need it, help your friends, protect yourself, protect your family, you know, deal with situations if they arise. So you're kind of constantly looking for this sort of physical competence um, and psychological competence. And when I encountered parkour, I realized that there was a huge area missing in my competence. um, In that I was, you know, I I was, I, I would learn, I would learn to fight and learn to, you know, Deal with those situations. I'd learn, you know, sort of medical first aid basic skills. I'd learn survival skills, the wild, you know, I'd learn sort of tactical skills and things like that for, for urban survival and whatever. Um, but then when I saw those movement skills displayed, I, was, I realized that is an area that I. Do not have, <laughs> you know. I don't have this capability to move like these guys do across rooftops or get over any obstacle that's in your path or survive a big drop or whatever. That was a, as a, it was like a missing piece in the puzzle. So, for me, it was a, it was a complementary part of uh, a complementary aspect of training that I needed to add to what I already did. Um, so there was a huge overlap conceptually, and I was interested in the, in practical functional use of my skills, not only in martial arts fighting but also in like can i actually could i get from could i cross this gap could i jump from here to there could i climb that wall could i get down there you know could i get over this obstacle um and and not sort of not in an arbitrary way not like are you fit and strong in a sort of gym way but is your strength and your fitness functional can it actually do these things can you actually use your body when you need to um and that was what parkour gave to me and, you know, I was hooked from day one of when I began trading. Um, so there was a huge overlap. Um, and there's also an overlap psychologically, obviously, in the, 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 the fear factor that you encounter in parkour and, the, and that, that same factor that you encounter when you, when you fight people. Um, and in, in martial arts, the fact that you've got someone, you know, across from you who's tr- trying to cause you harm, or even if they're just trying to beat you in a competition or whatever, you know, you've still got that kind of fear factor going on. Um, and parkour really makes you face that fear, very very intensely from day one um and so there's a lot of overlap and for me it was um you know i was hooked from day one and and i knew pretty much i knew from the first jump that i completed i knew then that i would be training in this um for you know my whole life
0: was injuries ever uh a situation for you um like were you able to know how to perfect a certain jump without causing the harm in a body <laughs>
1: Um, I mean you you learn you learn um, uh, you learn how not to get injured I suppose so um, in in parkour like any athletic discipline there are risks of injury you know if you if you play rugby if you do uh, 100 meter sprints um, if you're a high jumper you know there are chances that you're going to get injured um, of course um, because you're using your body and you're pushing the limits of your body Um, so parkour is the same uh, no no worse or or better than any of those disciplines really statistically it's probably safer than a lot of sports in terms of injuries that you per thousand hours of training, which is how sport injuries are typically counted. Um, but it's probably no better or worse than any athletic discipline really in terms of risk. So, um, and if you approach it like those disciplines, if you approach it with a sort of gradual training methodology and, um, and a structured approach to understanding the movements and, and building the right strengths in your body, um, and you don't rush ahead too fast then um yeah then yeah you can learn to complete these movements and use your body in this way um without exposing it to too much injury so i've been training you know parkour i suppose since 2000 2001 roughly so almost 20 years um and i've been a professional athlete in parkour um since probably 2005 so, so 15 years. Um, and you know, I've had only really had, I broke my arm early on in training. That's not a problem. It's just a it broke a bone in the wrist. And that took, you know, six weeks to heal 2006, I think. Um, and then I broke a bone in my foot, um, at a show in China for Adidas in like 2008. Um, and that was misdiagnosed. So it took a bit of time for that to heal um but other than that i've had no major injuries in parkour already um so uh you know you learn parkour people parkour practitioners are seen as adrenaline sports and adrenaline junkies but actually most of, most practitioners and indeed most sports that are labeled adrenaline sports um are, are mislabeled they're not it's not about that at all it's not about seeking adrenaline or or seeking risk even it's just about um being able to achieve these skills and, and movements that you want to achieve um, and get the feeling of, of achievement in that way. Um, while not getting hurt. So actually most parkour practitioners are very risk averse, you know, we're, we're very good at calculating and managing the factors around a movement or a jump to reduce the risk. As much as possible, because we don't want to get injured. Because if you get injured, you can't go and train tomorrow, and that's the worst thing in the world. So, parkour corporations are very, very risk averse. They will typically only take the risks that they know they're really, really good at making those calculations. And if they're not able to cap- make those calculations, they'll probably step back from the jump and won't do it. So, you learn to you learn to be very good at um, at sort of managing risk and, l- and understanding when something is when you are capable of doing something, and the difference between a risk and a dangerous situation, you know, they're very different things, risk and danger are very different. So um, we don't engage in dangerous things. Danger is where you can't control the situation, can't control the outcome. That's a dangerous situation. We don't ever engage in that. So in parkour, we engage with risk, which are situations in which we can control the outcome. Um, And we get very good at dealing with that, I suppose.
0: Talk about the impact you've had on the parkour community within what have you been involved in, and what were those missions that you were
1: wanting to accomplish? Yeah, so potentially a long answer, I suppose. But um, I mean, again, when we started, you know, we were building um, uh, parkour generations. We we were we were the first people to teach parkour anywhere in the world, right? So we were we would we we start we set up the classes, we set up the idea of a parkour class, um, and um, and and it and it took off very quickly. So very quickly we had a huge demand for people wanting to learn and we we began to get asked to teach in school can we teach in schools can we teach the military can we teach high level athletes can we teach couch potatoes you know um so and we we basically found ways to adapt our teaching methodology to any group that wanted to learn so that they could get the benefits of this movement practice um and very early on we were dragged around the world to teach that so we ended up teaching in the states in you know asia and south africa in south america um in you know australia russia wherever wherever so we we sort of i guess we began the teaching um sort of tidal wave in in the world in parkour um and we helped many of the communities around the world learn how to train and then how to then teach others um so I guess that's probably the biggest impact that we've had. Um, and and we then went on to create, um, the coaching certifications, the adapt qualifications, which are the global sort of coaching certifications for parkour. We created those back in 2008. Um, and so we've spent a lot of the last 10 years, um, running those certifications around the world. They've been delivered in about 40 countries, I think. Um, and there are about three and a half to 4,000 people who have qualified via those to become coaches of parkour around the world. So, And they then go on, obviously, to teach hundreds of other people. So that's probably the biggest influence that, um, and and, and the the most important influence that you could have is helping people learn how to teach something well so that they can then teach other people. Because then, you know, if if I run a course um, that that teaches 20 people to become good coaches of parkour, those 20 people can go on and each teach a 1,000 people in the next year. So, you know, that one course has then affected 20,000 people. Um, uh, and that though, that's kind of how we see it is, is sort of dropping a stone in the water and the ripple comes out, you know, the ripple spread out and that each course is a, is a stone dropping. So, um, and each coach is someone that can go on and, and become their own stone and affect another lot of people. So, um, that's probably the biggest influence we've had. Obviously we've been involved in the performance world and, you know, been involved in movies and productions like that and stunt work and we still are, um, we build parkour facilities, you know, um, indoors and outdoors around the world. We have branch, our own branches around the world in the States, in Brazil, in South Korea, in Taiwan or whatever. Um, so, you know, we have an impact in that way as well. Um, but the parkour community around now around the world, uh, is really good and really strong. There are many fantastic organizations around the world who have grown up, um, uh, either, uh, working with us or partners with us or emulating us. Um, and they've, you know, they've, they've created awesome communities around the world. So now we're just one organization amongst many really good organizations. Um, but early on, I suppose we were one of the trailblazers because there, there were no other professional organizations to start. Uh, we were the ones that were crazy enough to to end up sort of doing it as a career from the start, you know, we, not that we ever intended to, we didn't really sort of think, let's make, let's make our career parkour. We were just practicing it so much and we got asked to do media stuff and we got asked to teach. Uh, and one day me and, you know, the two other founders of, um, of parkour generations, two of the French guys, we just kind of woke up one day and we're like, you know what, this is, this is our career now. This is what we do professionally. We get paid to do parkour and we don't have time to do anything else. So, we better get pretty good at doing this professionally because this is what we do now. <laughs> um, so that, that's how it came about. You know, we did, we didn't plan it. Um, we were just the ones crazy enough to think, yeah, we could probably make a career out of, out of this, out of parkour. We could probably do that. Why not? Let's do that.
0: <laughs> that's when we, how it happened. When people look at, if they're looking up online at parkour, they can see videos, TV shows, movies, all different types of stuff that people can find and be interested in. Are you surprised at how big media mainstream parkour has gotten with the TV shows? I think there's been Mm -hmm. like, American Ninja Warrior has been a popular, or Ninja Warrior in general, just has been popular where it's showcasing these skills that these individuals have. No matter what age they are, where they come from, they all are showing that interest in parkour in a way.
1: Yeah, I mean, the growth has been meteoric. You know there's no doubt about it uh, and that's been you know helped obviously by technology and the internet and, and you know social media and all these sort of things it's obviously sped that up a lot but yeah if you if you'd asked us back in 2003 or 2005 you know even 2007 if you'd said to us you know parkour is going to eventually do this and it'll be on this scale and you know it'll be watched by millions and um it'll be moving into the olympics which is going to happen um you know we we would probably have, been sort of like really i mean (laughs) you know we did we did not we did not plan that no um like i say when i started training there were you know maybe 50 people in the world that even knew the word and knew what it was and it was a very very small exclusive secretive community of people so to go from that in you know 17 years or so 17 18 years to go from a community that big to where it is now whereby, you know, in, for example, in the UK, we got it recognized as a sport. So it now has the same status here as football or rugby or tennis or hockey or whatever. Um, it's like I say, it's going to be on the Olympics. It's Ninja Warrior. There's, you know, World Chase Tag. There's, you know, Ultimate Parkour is a TV show in America. It's it's most action movies now have parkour scenes and parkour coordinators on them. You know, almost all Hollywood action movies now have a parkour element within going on within them. So you know that create, the the growth of it is crazy in a way. Crazy to, for that to happen in in less than two decades is 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 amazing, meteoric, um, and to have been part of that and been involved, especially in the early years when we were the ones doing forging those industries um, and being involved in the first movies and the first TV shows or the first um, commercials and things like that. You know, to be amongst that community who were involved in that. Um, is now I understand that it was, it it was a, uh, it's quite a privilege to have been at that in that situation, you know, because not many people in the world get to experience being at the forefront of a new movement like that when it's that young Um, and, and being involved in that, that kind of rush of attention and, and just the speed of growth of it. And uh, you know, that that's quite, it was quite a privilege to have been involved in that. I think. Yeah. So, but no, we, we never, would have imagined I mean, when we began we just love training right we just love moving and you know there were like five or six of us when i moved back to the uk there were like five or six of us in england who would train in london uh and would meet up like once or twice a week in the evenings to as a group to train um and there would be a few of it and that would be it we'd just be moving around london climbing the rooftops uh finding jumps finding challenges um no one knew we were doing um, and and we we enjoyed that we enjoyed the fact that it was just us and that no one else in the world knew what we were doing um but now yeah now it's very different now everybody in the world knows what parkour is you know thanks to the office and tv shows like that <laughs> and movies like Cine royale or whatever everyone knows what it is now but when i started yeah no one knew what it was absolutely no one um so it's very different
0: i think for me i didn't like i didn't even know about it until these shows came out and then each time i'm watching the shows like, okay, I'm like hooked onto it and I will watch people learn from people. I'm not saying I'm good. I, I, I've never done parkour, free running, and that's it. But it's just, it's so fascinating the things that people can do with their body and just like a small area that they're in or off of a wall that it's just, it's just amazing. And I think it's just, it shows the mm. talent and the skills that people are willing to learn and like research and get better and it's just like any sport nowadays, where they want to learn from someone, and there's all these different areas that they can learn, and it's just amazing. Have you ever had that moment where you're like, "I could do like the shows, or I could be on there"? Like, have you ever had that like moment where I want to try out for those?
1: Uh, well, I mean yeah i mean you got you've got to remember that we we were the ones that did that first right so we were the ones in the movies and the tv shows and the tv commercials so um so we we have been there and have done that um uh and I, i'm not i was never hugely interested in that element of it i did it because we were asked to it and there was no one else at the time so we were asked to be you know do, do do the stunts for this this hollywood movie or do this tv commercial or or do this tv show and we'd be like oh yeah okay i mean because was no one else to do it we were asked and okay um and it meant we me got to travel around the world and do all that cool stuff but it was never really a huge interest to me so um now we have performance departments and and um you know we have uh performance athletes and our teams of performers around the world that do that stuff um and they're awesome at it and they love doing it but I, I don't really do that anymore i haven't done it for many years it just doesn't really interest me i'm mainly interested in the coaching the teaching and, and understanding the discipline in that way um So, uh, and helping to spread it to the new generation like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we did that early on, you know, um, and I suppose the first time, like the first time you do a paid commercial job, like, you know, someone flies you out to Nicaragua to go and do a a big TV commercial there. Um, you know uh, or brazil or russia or whatever um though first time you do that you kind of think this is a bit weird (laughs) like someone's paying me money to go and jump off building um and film it and you know but you pretty quickly get used to it pretty pretty quickly we became professional at it um and we understood that this is you know the same as performing same as being a stunt a stunt person or or an actor you pretty quickly realize that yeah it's just that this is a uh, there's a professional path here, and people want us to be able to do these skills for, you know, for 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 their purposes, and, and we're happy to make that exchange. But um, it becomes like you know that element of it becomes a becomes a, a profession, I suppose, um, professional, you know, a, a vocation, and, and you do that, and that's fine. But it was never a great interest to in me hugely. Um, I was more interested in my own training and helping others through it so helping others understand what they could do with their body um, and the helping them understand the potential physical and and psychological potential that they have as a human being which they probably aren't exploring properly Um, and parkour helps people understand that very early very quickly it helps them realize that they can do things that they never thought they would be able to do Um, and that their body and mind has far more potential than they can imagine, um, and that's the best thing about doing what we do is it's helping someone understand that you know, and within a few hours or a few sessions, they go from a very limited view of what their body can do to realizing that you know, wow, I can do these things. I can jump. I can vault. I can get over that wall. Um, I can I can move my body in ways I never thought possible. Um, and I can overcome these fears that I didn't that I think I would be able to overcome. You know, I have fear of heights and, and now I can balance on a wall 20 feet in the air. You know, that might happen to someone within a month of training. Um, and, and you see them realize, wow, that's what else could I do that? You see them thinking like that, you know, if I could do this. What else am I holding myself back on? What else could I do? What other challenges could I overcome? Um, that for me is, is, is the most interesting element of it. far more interesting than you know performing in a Spider-Man movie or doing a, <laughs> a, a, a Nike TV commercial or whatever. I mean we've done it. it's fun, but at the end of the day it's fairly meaningless I think for me anyway. so
0: So what does the future look like for you professionally and personally? What are you hoping to accomplish in
1: the next few years? So, there's a lot we've got on our plates. Um, assuming that the lockdowns sort of end and the world goes back to some semblance of normality, um, you know, we're building uh, we're, we're building a huge online um, portal for parkour where people will be able to, to to get access to training and 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 courses and teaching like never before, wherever they are in the world. So there'll be no limit really to to people being able to engage with with the the teaching methodologies that we have. And that's a big build, and we're doing that at the moment. We're also obviously expanding our our bases um, around the world, so building new facilities. We're opening a new, a new another academy in London at the moment, um, and different places around the world, sort of opening up new clubs and and new gyms and and new um, teaching paradigms. So you know, th- those over the next few years, that's all going to be developing in a big way. Um, and our, our facility design department is really expanding at the moment um so we continue to grow in all those areas um which is great uh, and i'm sort of a, i suppose overseeing that as the as the as the, as the, the director so I, I oversee all these sort of international projects growth which is which is great and great fun and expanding and opening the door for parkour into new industries um is always really cool as well um and me personally i'm i'm interested also in in uh in sort of trying to spend more time in in writing i mean i've published books on parkour before um which is cool but um but i'm I'm very interested in writing um in in publishing other types of of books novels and stories and screenplays and things like that that i've i've always been doing since i was a kid but i've never really um, done anything professional with it i've never really been that interested in that uh, in doing it professionally but now i'm quite interested in spending more time doing that so from a personal point of view i will definitely spend the next five ten years m- much more of that time writing um, and producing that kind of content um, but that doesn't mean that the that what we do in the parkour world and, and the company's growth is going to slow down it's just going to accelerate over the next few years um, and the the interest in parkour is also accelerating hugely um, you know with the, the rise of it um, the, the the interest now and the uh, that we have from the Olympics and bodies like that whether that's good or bad for parkour as a whole it's difficult to say at this stage but the the demand and the interest for parkour is going through the roof so we know that the the demand for good teaching and for you know good training methodology is going to rise commensurately with that so we're kind of just building things up to be able to manage that demand as it comes Um, so it's going to be a busy few years um, assuming that the world gets back to normal (laughs) Hopefully I'll be able to travel again. I haven't haven't left the country this year, which is the first time I think in like 30 years that I haven't been abroad um, uh, in a year, which, you know, normally I travel 20, 30 times a year um, internationally and this, this year no travel at all, which is very interesting.
0: For someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome their obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to their challenge?
1: Uh, there's a lot, but the, the key ones the key things I would say are seek out adversity. so don't run away from the things that you think are hard, you know, the things that you think you can't do. That, those are things you must go towards. So we have a, we have an, 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 idea in parkour that if, when you begin a challenge, if you know, you can do it, it's not a challenge. You know, it's just training. It's just routine, right? If you know you can do something when you start it, it's not really a challenge. A challenge by definition is something that you're not sure you can pull off. You know, you're not sure you're going to succeed. Now it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, so, my advice to anyone in, in the world, really, any situation, young, old, whatever, is if there's something you want to do, but you're holding yourself back because you're not sure you'll succeed, do it. <laughs> um, you, you must go towards the, the adversity. Maybe you won't do it. Maybe you will fail. But the things you will learn from failing to do the thing that you want to do, those things will be invaluable. And it will help you when you try again. They will help you succeed. Um, so just don't quit. Just keep doing the thing keep trying keep experimenting keep using the feedback um and you will eventually get there but you've got to you've got to be willing to seek out those difficult things uh, from the start and don't shy away from diversity so you know engage with things that are difficult look for, look for those things um it's a very stoic philosophy i suppose um but when you understand it when you when you appreciate the importance of that kind of stoicism um uh, then you realize that's the only way you can actually sort of find out who you are and discover your potential Um, if you don't do that you will never really learn what you're capable of um so so you must seek the harder road you know one another one of the core concepts in parkour is if there are two sort of pathways choose the harder one choose the harder path because you'll learn more from doing it that way (laughs) so don't do it the easy way. Do it the hard way, um, and you'll, the things you'll learn from that will be far more beneficial, um, and make you a stronger individual. Um, so you know that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? So seek the strong, seek the challenging things, go through them, embrace the adversity, um, and you'll realize that the adversity, the, the difficulty, the suck, is is the way. That is the thing that makes you who you are. So yeah, go for it.
0: Well, dan i want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge we all have learned so much and we're inspired to see what the future looks like for you
1: thank you very much man and uh, and thank you for the invite it's a pleasure and and you know great work on um on creating this this podcast and bringing together such diverse people in this kind of forum for communication it's really it's a really cool endeavor and i know as you said to me before we started this is something you you, you, this was your response to adversity. This was a response to the COVID lockdowns, right? So um, that's exactly it. You, you, it was a challenging situation. It's a very challenging situation for the whole world right now. But you, your response was to create something positive out of it and to create connection and communication. Um, and that's just down to your mindset and your your willingness to embrace a difficult situation. So, you know, you're a great example of that. Of, of everything we've been discussing, you're a great example of that, man.
0: Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to so see the episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goal? You die.